and steadiness of mind. So tonight, is it going? Tonight we're going to do the practical aspects of living the Dharma of equanimity. This is both practical in terms of daily life and practical aspects of spiritual practice. It's a felt sense that we're exploring. There's various little things I will say in list form not to hold on to those list forms of it. So to begin with, what do we mean when we say equanimity? If you go to a regular dictionary, it will talk about uh, composure. It will talk about not being disturbed. It, uh, it will say things like phlegmatic, which actually I take issue with. It talks about a kind of uh, uh, balanced comprehension. It can also talk about fairness, that equanimity is fairness and justice, that there's a, that kind of equanimity. The reason I say I take issue with it being phlegmatic, phlegmatic personalities are those kinds of, it, that's based on the old idea of the tumors. And the phlegmatic personality is one that's kind of dull and slow. Equanimity is not dull and slow, but without a certain amount of energy and mindfulness, it goes that way. You get sleepy, you get spacious, you space out. But that is not equanimity. That's just a characteristic that's arisen because of the other qualities of mind. I need to say that again. Equanimity is not sleepiness. It is not, it, it, it is, it is none, it's not dullness. It's none of those characteristics. That is always coming about, that sleepiness, the dullness, the slowness, because of other characteristics of the mind. The so-called hindrances have arisen in some way. Equanimity is clear, pure, and very bright in when all the other conditions are right. And we'll see at the end of the talk that that uh, has uh, a lot of implications. So in, uh, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, it's not the same as a calm mind. A calm mind is another factor. We would cultivate a calm mind. But the equanimity of mind is not based on the calm mind. In some ways, it's easier to have equanimity when the mind is calm, except for the fact that when the mind is calm, you also have more tendency to go to sleep than if the mind's caught in a lot of pain. The pain keeps you awake. So it's not, it's not the same thing, and you don't go, oh, if I could just have a calm mind, then I would have equanimity. Equanimity is to be developed through its own understanding, its own right. So equanimity is a steadiness of mind, a mind that's not affected by conditions. This is from The Wings of Awakening, which I do not recommend that you use in your reading group, by the way. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good reference book, but it's not the kind of, it's, it's too, it's just not the right book for what you're doing. Uh, uh, and here is, this is Tanasaro Buku's 
uh, collection of the various teachings from the Buddha. And here's what he says about equanimity in the suttas. The word equanimity is used in the canon in two basic senses. First, a neutral feeling in the absence of pleasure and pain. A neutral feeling in the absence of pleasure and pain. So, you don't you don't feel either uh, pleasant or unpleasant. So, uh, what what I refer to as neutral, sometimes referred to as equanimity. Second, an attitude of even-mindedness in the face of every sort of experience regardless of whether pleasure and pain are present or not. The attitude of even-mindedness is what is meant here. So usually when we're talking about equanimity, what we mean, I'll repeat his second definition, an attitude, attitude means like how you're disposed to the receiving of something. You know, you're, 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 equanimous about it, an attitude of even-mindedness in the face of every sort of experience, regardless of whether pleasure and pain are present or not. So you get it? So you may be having a hellish moment. I mean, it's really unpleasant. I can't stand this another second. And the mind can have great equanimity. Great equanimity. You may be having a great moment, a wonderful moment, a tender moment, a sweet moment, exhilarating moment. And the mind has that same quality of equanimity. It's not in the least affected whether it's that extreme unpleasant or extreme pleasant. It's that same sense of equanimity. You know what seems to be the most difficult for me to maintain? So for her, she has she has a tendency to lose her equanimity, her sense of equanimity, her attitude of equanimity when there's when there's great happiness or elation, because she tends to go with that feeling of elation. So probably some of the rest of you are that way. Likewise, there's a significant number of you, based on my having asked this of other groups in the past, that for you, in, that you can maintain more equanimity in the face of joy and happiness, but when it's really unpleasant, you tend to lose it. And then there will be a third group where it's, you tend to lose it equally, and then there's a fourth group that goes, huh? <laughs> so there's wide variation in this experience. And it's helpful to note that, that some people tend to lose it with the great joy. The equanimity, this quality of equanimity, serves you equally in moments of happiness and in moments of the great uh, discomfort, displeasure. It serves you equally. You can see that in a child most clearly because you watch a little child, the kind of little child who gets really excited and gets too excited, and they can literally, through their excitement, 
turn it, it will, it will become a painful experience. They'll start crying or they'll get agitated. Their nervous system gets overloaded. And you, you can just watch it and you can see it's going to happen and you can try to intervene and sometimes you can't because the child is just at that stage and it's their, their disposition is such that they do that and they actually turn their happiness into suffering in that way. So can we. So can we. The equanimity does not dampen the elation. It changes the context, the quality of it a bit, but it does not dampen it. Is that what keeps you from becoming attached to it? In part, not alone, but in part it keeps you from becoming, it, uh, it stops you from getting confused at least that you are but because the elation itself tends to build on itself so you just become it There's, the mindfulness is a necessary factor also so, but if what it does is it keeps the equanimity allows it to it keeps you in the moment more and it also keeps it a cleaner experience so uh, that's true in love making it's true in hitting the home run it's true in uh, figuring out the puzzle. You know, it's true in the joy of seeing your child. It's, it's, I have not encountered an exception to this. It does have um, um, the, um, there's not a simple way to put this. There, there's a, a the alcohol, drug, smoking, overeating, all of those experiences, the indulgent experiences don't work as well with equanimity. With a strong equanimity, it kind of, it, it clashes with when you're, when you're using excess in some way to get out of the moment. It does get in the way of that. I do have to say that. So those, those when you're using excess to escape, the equanimity will interfere with getting drunk, getting high, uh, uh, you know, drowning in the, the third dessert or whatever it is you happen to be doing, because it keeps you present and you're wanting out of the present. That's why you're doing that. So in that sense, you know, people can be unhappy about having that pain and equanimity that they suddenly can't get rid of. <laughs> It's a steadiness of mind. It is, there is a balance, the mind is balanced. So like if you were getting drunk, the mind, you'd start to get drunk, but the mind would bring back, would actually be affecting in my view, this is not in the suttas, but in my view, actually affects the body chemistry. I, I think there's very little question that that's true. But, and all the recent things that have been done with the Dalai Lama and some of those monks uh, that they've been testing certainly support this but again this is my impression so that the, there's a balance of mind in the sense that it doesn't it won't spill over into being drunk it won't spill over it, it's balanced in a certain way although the up and down can still be there it is the, the equanimity is the balance itself the mindfulness would be what would be aware of the balance okay, I'm going to hold your question for just a moment so Obviously, in uh, emergencies, equanimity is a very useful thing. 
And many times equanimity just appears in an emergency, right? Mm -hmm. You will be amazingly equanimous. And then afterwards, you know, you get the shakes or you go, ah, or whatever it is. And particularly when it's a loved one involved, you get very strong in equanimity. Involving yourself, the more emotional the emergency, the less likely it is for most people to keep the equanimity. If it's a physical emergency, for most people they tend to have more equanimity than what's of a certain emotional nature. And then the equanimity tends to, not always, but this tends to be the pattern. Around work pressure, equanimity can be such a balancing factor because there's all of these, these deadlines to be met and there's all of these difficult circumstances. Having strong equanimity will allow you to avoid so much suffering and allow you to be a more effective person. When there's conflicts uh, with another person or particularly conflicts with a lot of people or your significant other is someone that's so close, so either of those two, lots of conflicts at once or with someone so close, the equanimity helps so much and not getting carried away and therefore acting unskillfully. Within your own turmoil, because of some change in your life or some unhappiness in your life, equanimity is so useful. And equanimity is so uh, available to be cultivated. That's the good news, is that I mean, it's not that we have to wish we just had this certain amount. With practice, we can develop more and more equanimity. When there is equanimity, but there is no interest, that is, there's no energy, there's nothing that, that chanda, that thing that was uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago, when there's no when there's no real interest and there's this equanimity, then you get sluggish, and it's like, it's like sitting in a dull uh, 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 lecture, you know. And remember all those times in school that you were not interested at all, and the teacher was not really engaged, and so work was not eliciting you in any way, and just how awful that you know just just drone, just drone. When there is no mindfulness, then the, there is dullness present. But when there's, when there's a mindfulness, then that dullness is not present in the mind. So uh, when there is equanimity with this kind of energy of interest and, of, and with mindfulness, then you've really, you're really equipped to learn, to know yourself, to, to grow. If you add passion and inspiration, then you've got, you, you know, you're on the path to wisdom. Practice is useful because practice adds a structure. It adds a way for you to cultivate the equanimity. That's why it so helps to have practice. Coming here together, practicing together, is one form of that. Having a, a, a teaching that sort of draws attention, that helps 
for you to cultivate this. In daily life, there's lots of times when there's going to be great discomfort. When that great discomfort is present, rather than focusing on it, to look for the equanimity. To look for what else is true. Do the body that we just did. Find this greater body. Do all these various things which would not, you wouldn't necessarily be thinking equanimity, but they in fact bring equanimity. Not knowing mind. Grounding yourself in your own intention based on your values. Surrendering this idea of control. All of these different things, uh, which uh, wasn't really the purpose of the talk tonight, will cultivate that equanimity in the moment that you most need it. You don't have to just cultivate it other times and have it show up. You can cultivate it even in the hard times. It's not wise, in my view, to only cultivate it when you most need it because you, you need a lot more momentum than that you want to. So, so making that part of what you're developing in your daily life all the time. So you notice what's pleasant right now, and you notice how it's getting you all in, in this sort of agitated state, and then drop back into the knowing. Oh yeah, this is what's true now. This moment's like this. Such a great statement of equanimity. Or then you feel yourself caught, like, I'm not gonna find a parking place, I'm not gonna find a parking place. Oh, look at my anxiety here. Oh, yeah, this is this anxiety over finding a parking place. Oh, this knowing of it, just that knowing cultivates the equanimity. And, oh, I'm, I'm worried about this. Oh, I'm worried about this. Worries like this. You start to cultivate this equanimity around it. If it's something that's very unpleasant, it's probably going to stay unpleasant for quite a while. Maybe not always, amazingly enough, even if it's extremely unpleasant. But it, that equanimity can grow in proportion to the experience over time. In spiritual practice, equanimity is used uh, to be able to tolerate the arising of the hindrances so that you can stay with the hindrances and not get lost in them. So if, if anger is present or doubt is present or sloth and torpor or this, uh, the, the wanting mind is present, the equanimity just allows you to stay and see it clearly. So you, can, you, uh, you don't get lost, you don't buy into the hindrances, you don't become just that hindrance. The hindrance is there but the, the, the equanimity allows the mindfulness to have time to do its work. So that's one way it's used. The equanimity is very, very useful in relation to the psychological, emotional material that arises during practice. Lots of times when we're sitting, some very difficult feeling will arise in the emotions very difficult that we really are uncomfortable with and so equanimity allows us to stay with that and not 
get overwhelmed by it. Of uh, particular importance to some people is that equanimity allows you to stay present and work through certain altered states that arise during practice. So, for instance, you may have an altered experience that is of a physical nature. It may be random sensations such as burning or coldness or pulsations or intense kinds of pain that just really can be quite disquieting or only somewhat disquieting but sometimes quite disquieting. Likewise, the physical sensations can involve movement. So there's a jerking arm or the whole body jerks or you're swaying or, or there's uh, at times people have taken all sorts of uh, postures that I actually refer to posture mudras where one, one really takes these odd shapes. The equanimity can allow you, one, not to uh, uh, so easily succumb to those and secondly when they're present to not uh, get attached to them likewise various images can arise that are disturbing sometimes they can seem completely random sometimes they can seem to have a narrative as though you're having a past life experience and it's a very disquieting experience but you identify it as past life whether or not you believe in past lives don't believe in past lives I'm not interested in any of that I'm just talking about these experiences that arise which you tend to identify and make a story out of them or sometimes it can be like you're thinking you're having a recovered memory in this life or or you can some people will think oh no this is this hidden desire I have to be doing this and all sorts of different and interpretations will come and these images are disturbing they're very disturbing. Equanimity, this cultivation of equanimity, so useful in working with this. Um, uh, I worked with a yogi for a short while that was having a great deal of difficulty with images, and um, I could not uh, get the yogi to open to this attitude towards the images. Uh, the yogi would only go to the interpretation and would not drop into the equanimity around them and felt not seen by me and was very vocal in reporting how feeling not seen. I, in fact, had a different experience. I felt very much that I was seeing the yogi and that, that the, uh, the way through this particular experience, because it was a pervasive experience was through the equanimity did not succeed in uh, working that out with the yogi and uh, years have gone by of suffering for that particular yogi um, so um, it, I, I'm, I'm being very serious about all this because some of you go wow he's being so serious and I just sit on Sunday evenings a little bit what's, what's he being so serious some of you sit a lot and some of you in the future may sit a lot so this 
this is all to be listened to. And some of you in here can tell the others in here, listen to him about these things because it does happen. Because some of you have had some very difficult uh, circumstances arise. Likewise, sometimes it's in the nature of sounds, these altered experiences. They can be random sounds of all sorts, like like just anything. You can think you're hearing this uh, clashing of something or this creaking of still bending or all of these different weird sounds. Sometimes people hear dropping. They think there's this water faucet dropping and it's driving them crazy. Stop this dripping of water. And, and of course, there is no water dripping, but they're hearing this water dripping, it won't go away, just as an example. So these random sounds. Other people hear music, and other people hear voices of various kinds. Equanimity is the number one thing to cultivate in relation to this arising of this phenomena of sound. The number one thing to cultivate. It's uh, uh, tempting not to not believe that. It's tempting to think, oh, well, I've got to fix this to get the sounds to go away, or I've blah, 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 all this, I'm going to do something, or to identify, or to make them more and more solid, or to somehow start clinging to them. It's actually, you would think, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense to be have an equanimity about this. Sure, sure, I would do that. It's not that easy when it's your turn. It's just not. I know, I have been there. So, a fourth way that these altered experiences arise, it can be through a, a kind of combo of words and images. For um, um, the period of time when I'm in multi-week sittings, I often have uh, every thought that I think come across every word is teletype and it'll just so I don't want to think a single thing because it's just going to show up as teletype and uh, at first it's kind of interesting but then it really starts to get intrusive you know it's and it's just words and images just words and images a fifth thing that can experience is an, uh, is leaving the body or the body altering in some ways, some kind of various experience with the body, which can really bother some people. A sixth experience of altered perception is uh, uh, around perception itself, so that uh, you, you, uh, the body has no uh, solidity, or the, uh, the, the ground has no solidity, or you, you have access to the sense that we're actually spinning and moving in space, you have some access to that, which is a very unpleasant thing. The very first moments of it, very cool. <laughs> and then, like, no, get this, stop this, stop this. I mean, all sorts of things like that. Uh, color perception can drop away so that the world goes gray. Uh, uh, many different experiences. In another sense, you can people can become skeletons. So you're walking around and you just see everybody as a skeleton. Can be very uh, unsettling at first. <laughs> Likewise, and this is the last one I'll mention. You can have visions 
arise, uh, either of a personal nature, where uh, uh, not always so easy to distinguish this, but they're of a personal nature, it's some vision that's, you know, something that you're moving in some way, or they're impersonal. It's the human movie. Uh, sometimes, for some people, they're pretty distinguishable. Other times, like I say, not so easy to distinguish. But in a way, it doesn't matter. They're just visions that are arising through this altered state. These things don't just happen in meditation, as we know. They happen across life. People can be riding the bus and have one of these experiences. There's been endless documentation of that, of where these altered states arise. They can all they can certainly arise because of chemical changes, induced chemical changes, but they can also arise just because of of uh, changes in the mind or some sort of change in mind circumstance together. Equanimity is the most useful thing I know. I've talked to so many teachers about this, and. Uh, just recently was, uh, had another long discussion with a teacher in India. Equanimity is the most useful thing to cultivate. And it is something that can be cultivated, underlined, underlined, underlined. It takes a kind of a deliberate placing of attention to develop equanimity. The longer we sit, the more we just go through the practice, uh, equanimity will arise on its own. It is, equanimity is a, a result of the practice. Uh, the Brahma, the four Brahma Viharas of loving kindness, of compassion, of this sympathetic or empathetic joy, and of this, uh, this mind that is equanimous, they arise as the fruits of practice, but each of them also can be cultivated through deliberate practice. Equanimity is like that. Don't know mine. Surrendering. Finding the ground of your intention. And then, you know, you, am I doing what's right here? Don't know. Is this going to end? Don't know. Is it subject to the law of karma? Yes. Is it subject to the law of anicca? Yes. Therefore, Something will change because things are always changing. Dropping back into this knowing rather than the identifying with. It can arise, but you don't have to attach to it. It can arise over and over again, and you don't have to attach. It can arise over and over again, you attach and let go, attach, let go, attach, let go, attach, let go. Sooner or later, it will arise in relation to anything with practice. The attachment in many instances can drop away long before the experience drops away. Um, uh, I'm forgetting his name, the teacher that... Uh, oh shoot, I can't think of his name right now. I'll think of it in a moment, but he talks about in, in, um, how he went through this period of a couple years where he, he had things crawling all over him as an experience. And he, when he would look at things, and like he would look at a plant, and the plant would sometimes take on this kind of threatening uh, shape. I mean, it was this, this very, he was having a sensation and perceptual altered experience. 
that went on for a long period of time. And it changed. And But he had to live with that till it changed. So equanimity is very useful. It's very useful in our personal lives, in extreme times in our personal lives. It's very useful in extreme times in our spiritual lives. And equally useful in mundane, regular experiences in our daily lives and regular experience in our spiritual life. So, questions and comments? Any kind? Um, um, if I, if what you do, you, you either you can either identify with that sound, or and, and, and identifying with it is usually known. It's not like as oh I'm really identified with this. It's known as stories about it. Like there's these stories like oh, and this is going to go on, and this is because of this, and oh, I've got to do this, and all this kind of papancha mind explosion. Or you, you go into the, to the knowing its nature. It's, it's temporary nature that your, your control over it is, is uh, incomplete, unknown, that this, is, this moment's like this. You do all the things that you know uh, that cultivate equanimity. And again, this talks not so much about each of those things, which maybe I will end up doing. No, no, but again, it's back to saying this moment is like this and not this. That's correct. That's correct. And again, it can be at times uh, the amount of disquiet does not affect your ability to practice the equanimity. And here's a little tricky thing. When you practice equanimity, you got to watch out or you'll immediately go to attachment of the equanimity. Oh, well, how am I doing? Oh, I'm not doing very well because I don't have very much equanimity. You are practicing equanimity. You're not doing equanimity. You're practicing. Whatever equanimity you have is what you have. But your intention is strong. The chanda, the commitment to it, that intensity towards the equanimity can be quite strong even though you have almost none. I get really confused between, okay, like I have a thing about leaf blowers. When I hear leaf blower, I go insane. And so sometimes I'll turn on the radio, I'll try to drown it out. And so I have a confusion about, like, I think that's a good um, strategy. Like, if you can kind of uh, do something to uh, block it out in some way, then I think that's, a, that's like the first strategy. And if you can't, then, you know, okay, so then what do you do? <laughs> but I have a confusion about this because leaf blower, it's not even like a choice. Like, Sometimes well, I think, okay, Wendy, well, you can, you're going to survive this. It's not going to kill you, but sometimes so, it feels like it is going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, sometimes when you have choice in life, uh, you would always act with compassion. But that doesn't mean you would always drown out the leaf blower. Because sometimes you'd go, you know, I'm pretty strong today. I'm in a pretty good mood. I don't have a lot of pressure on me. I'm going to practice with this a while. <laughs> and so you, you practice and you... You deliberately, you like you get closer to it. You say, "Can I tune everything else out? What exactly is it? What is it? If it were, a, you know, so you, you you go in and you examine it. 
And then when your mind starts getting tired, your nervous system getting tired, you let loose of it. But you, you use it as an opportunity to practice on occasion because there's going to be lots of things in life at some point that are going to be like that or worse than that blower, that, that leaf blower. And the practice is very valuable because it's, it's like a non-harming way to practice as opposed to having, you know, you, you've got this, uh, this cancer that's eating your spine and you're having to practice with that pain because there's no painkiller. I've worked with people where they, they have this pain that there's no, the painkillers won't touch it. And that's what they have to work with. So, so again, you're working with it as practice. There's not any point in time you go, okay, now I'm really, here's the big test. Here I am, I'm in my deathbed. Now I'm going to see, do I really have equanimity? It's not like that. And you really have to watch out because we're so tempting to, you know, we, we tend to reduce the spiritual faculties to our mundane material accomplishments. Like, you know, I've got so much equanimity in the bank. Or, you know, I can lift, you know, 500 pounds of equanimity. I mean, it's it's not that way. Well, yeah. <laughs> I have a comment and a question um, sort of related to that. But the comment is just that um, with alcohol, I have experienced that just in the last few months. And I knew that it wasn't affecting me as much or in the same way. And I knew it was somehow related to my practice, but I, I didn't realize it was equanimity. Um, and the question... Don't drink more. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually sometimes I yeah. I don't need to at all. Right, right. No, it, that's not an issue. But um, my, my experience with the equanimity is it's solid. It's it, it, and permanent. And... You know, when I think of some of the other Brahma Viharas and, and other um, aspects of my practice that I have backtracked, you know, you move forward and you... But this feels like a place to go that is... And I know I can cultivate it so that it's stronger, but it feels like a place to go that doesn't go away. And I can disillusion it. Well, for you, it may well be true that equanimity is that for you, of, of all the Brahma Viharas, that's the one that is most constant for you, that you have the most access to. And it is therefore a companion to be cultivated in that way. That doesn't mean that it won't go away, <laughs> but that you just have more access and it's more present. It will become even more present and have more uh, subtlety as you cultivate it more. But it's great that you have that. I mean, go hooray. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, and, and then then move on. I mean, don't you don't like you don't count on it, but you just realize, oh, I have this, and therefore I can access it. And that's one of the ones I can more easily cultivate in the course of my day because it's always there. Whereas the others, I have to sort of conjure more. But objectively speaking, it's not different in that way. No, my experience. no, it's not different. It's not different. I was really resonating with what else is true in the situation of something happening. But when I have like altered experiences, I find that if I do what she did with the leaf blower and try to listen to them, it just increases them tremendously. So how do I deal with that? And she wasn't asking about an altered experience. Yeah, she was asking know. about a neutral, actually a fairly neutral thing to practice with because the leaf blower is, is outside, it's known, it's got an ending, uh, in the beginning, middle, and end, and all this. 
whereas some of the experiences that you're working with don't have those characteristics so clearly. They are there, but they're much more diffused and harder to, to so therefore more difficult. Uh, I would not, uh, uh, I would have you develop more and more equanimity. So imagine that, that you're, you're going to use equanimity and uh, you're going to use investigation of the phenomena, right? So I would have you use like uh, uh, a nine to one uh, equanimity to investigation kind of ratio. I'm just making this up on the spot, but a very high uh, 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 ratio of equanimity to investigation. Is that clear to everybody what I mean? Uh, and uh, uh, that would sound. Sometimes we talk about mindfulness investigation as the end all be all, and so it, so there's this. It sounds like you're compulsively supposed to just you know go into the investigation of it. But the mindfulness can be very broad, and uh, in terms of the right efforts, remember that that which is unskillful you avoid and if you're already in the unskillful you move away from it so it very much fits in the teaching so if uh, when, when there's a particular difficult kind of altered reality it's very skillful many times to not uh, to not go into it but rather to move away from it to a broader awareness of it uh, with this high equanimity present or to place the attention as far as you're able on something else, bring something else to the foreground, although this is going to stay very strong background or it may go back and forth like this a lot. And, but then it's the, it's the equanimity that you're cultivating. And then when you are on it, so when it's the predominant experience, you prefer it wasn't, but it's the predominant experience, to cultivate, to surround it with this equanimity just to surround it. You can do this with anything. Uh, I had a uh, tooth that I did not know the nerve was exposed to the surface and it was dying because it was exposed to the surface but I didn't know this and I was away from uh, dentistry and all this. And uh, I learned that this can be done. That The pain would be like really sharp because it's nerve. You know, nerve dying has its own characteristic. And even with that, uh, you can surround. doesn't mean it's always going to be available to you, but it's possible. It's a way of cultivation. So any, any in this ratio, you're, any way you can, whether the, this altered experience is arising in the moment and you're working with equanimity with it, or you're just cultivating, your practice becomes primarily a practice of equanimity. Till you, till you gain enough equanimity so that you can... Uh, you can keep the balance when you're being investigative of the experience. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Everyone get this? I want to, any question about just what I said before I go on to other questions, because I really, this is really critical. Altered states. Yeah. What are you describing? Well, I mean, I give you the whole list of images, sounds, uh, leaving the body, the various body sensations, any kind of, all these various kinds of altered states that can come up. Okay, now I'm going to move on then. Can I just... Yeah. Is what you're basically saying is like shoe off what you can do? Yes, but I'm doing. I'm saying more than that. A lot more than that. Um, because 
I'm saying that there is an equanimous mind that, be, that can be cultivated independently of anything that's arising so that you can have in general as, as Arlette was referring to uh, uh, this greater sense of equanimity when, when you talk about this balance of investigation versus equanimity yeah. is the investigative part as much as you can handle without moving? it is it's, even that's not it's, it's like this sense of that you're, you have such a strong sense of equanimity even if you feel like you can handle it I don't quite know how to put it uh, as you get to know equanimity better it's like you feel the equanimity it seems like the solidity you were talking about this equanimity so you're, you're building up a real sense of that and so there's this kind of buoyancy of the equanimity now, I'm talking about a felt sense and I'm trying to use words to describe felt sense and so it's inevitably going to be inadequate um, but that, that, that equanimity of this too so you, it, 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 the, the, it's, how much I can handle gets you back into kind of an opposites with it and that's not quite what I'm um, it's, it's, it's I, I don't have a good word to it it's just this sense of it this ratio of like so you're like how much uh, how much you're letting in of this versus the ratio of this there's I, I don't know a good way to think of a boat in the water or something that will float the boat that or I, I don't know the, the right image for that you, you have to kind of use your own curiosity but you could start with this I won't bite off more than I can choose but it's it, 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 there's a there's a more subtle sense of it than that that's available to all of us in here there's really subtle levels but that's not what I'm referring to right now over here Jack 